0: The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It's... Thursday, July 21st here right now. We're back to our regular few days before the episode comes out recording schedule. So back in live action. I'm recording in a different room today, so I hope that doesn't sound too different. It's a bigger room, so hopefully it's not echoey. Someone will tell you if it does. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) But the other room I record in would definitely be too hot because I don't know. I'm sure everyone's seen in the news this week how it's fucking hot as hell everywhere but even in new york it's so hot and so humid it was like 97 degrees today and it's the worst sounds like a dream i
1: still can't believe just a few weeks ago we were in the nice warm weather and now we're right back in the trenches of the rain the cold yeah <sighs> anyway only a month to go or a month ish and then hopefully it will start getting warmer again
0: yeah i feel like you don't have like two long of a time of cold weather there at least. No and like it is
1: I know I whinge a lot about it and moan a lot but it is pretty mild for us it's just I don't know I guess you know it's like what you're used to I know in the UK this week when they had that big heat wave and um, like the heat wave for them isn't doesn't seem like it should be that hot but it's just what you're used to like you know what your houses are equipped for and you know it's
0: just yeah, yeah like it's probably just as hot here as it is there but like we have air conditioners yeah, and yeah. we're more used
1: to it and that's why here when it gets really really cold which is you know insane that it's not super super cold I just whinge about it but, but cold for there yeah and when it does like if we do have a day where it is absolutely freezing no one you know it's not generally as well equipped to for heating we're very well equipped for air con and you know cooling because it's always hot but
0: well, remember when I first moved into like this apartment and I sent you pictures like <laughs> five fucking years ago and my apartment like most Americans will know I think has like baseboard heaters but when I sent the pictures to Olivia she's like what are those because yeah, you guys def- don't have like heaters like that
1: definitely not a thing where I live and I've never ever seen that in Australia like it obviously could be a thing in areas where it is colder but not a thing that I'd ever seen before
0: <laughs> yeah it was just funny
1: so I was like what the heaters <laughs> and even this year because we live in like a valley so it does get cooler. You know, cooler here than it does in, you know, even if you drive a few minutes away, it's probably 10 degrees cooler here. But um, we got our fireplace serviced this winter. And then the guy's like, yeah, don't use it. It's it's because it's got a massive crack in it. So we have to get a brand new fireplace. So, yeah, it's been a cold, cold winter. I'll stop whinging about it. Though.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's well, like even though I'm not like super far from the city, but the city for some reason, it just feels so much hotter there, I guess because it's more like pavement and like the tall buildings it just feels so stuffy and terrible mm. there. Going to the city when it's really hot, I was the fucking worst.
1: <laughs> I saw a thing the other day and it was like an Instagram post <clears throat> and the woman was like, the city's empty, I
0: love it. <laughs> Everyone yeah, leaves probably. it's too hot. Yeah. Yeah, or they're just not out walking around at least. Yeah, true. Um, But since it's so cold there, you were
1: saying about Elmo? Uh, Yeah. So I was actually speaking to my husband about it last night. We haven't seen him since we've been back. I've been looking out. I thought maybe he's made his way up the street a little bit further, but we haven't seen him. So I think hopefully he's just hibernating and hopefully in a month or so he'll be back. But I don't know if they move on or I don't know. But yeah, I, I think it's pretty safe to say at this stage he's gone for at least a little while. How's Daisy
0: taking it? (laughs)
1: She seems all right because that's a good little segue. A new new distraction. (laughs) We got a new little distraction. We got a puppy last Saturday. So we've had him for nearly a week. He's nine weeks old and we've called him Donald. So we've got Donald and Daisy. (laughs) Um, And he's just the cutest little fattest oh he's just so sweet like when we got Daisy she was gorgeous too but I feel like it had been so long since we had a puppy I didn't enjoy her as much because I was so stressed about what I was meant to be doing and looking after her and you know doing the right thing whereas with him I'm like oh it's easy it's fine don't worry about it (laughs) so now said to the kids this will be our last puppy probably ever while they are living in this house (laughs) so everyone better soak it up because we're not getting any more dogs but oh he's just so 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 cute and so cheeky and he's fat he's got no fear like Aww. Daisy is like four or five times the size of him he just doesn't care he you know he's just plays but, like he bites her and you know they play tug of war and she loves it and he's been sleeping so well and I think it's because she's so tired after playing all day with
0: Daisy. Mm. Oh, there, so, so cute. your older dog's happier to have a break? He's from actually them. all
1: right I thought he might be a bit over it but I feel like now Daisy leaves him alone so he actually yeah. likes it more he's just Old and you know, a little bit cranky and just wants to be alone, <laughs> so he's been fine too. And you know, he gets the preferential treatment, like, he sleeps right inside out. They the other dogs sleep in, we've got a, like a back room, a playroom, so they sleep in there. Whereas Ralph sleeps in the house, <laughs> you know, wherever he wants, but they are, yeah, they're we're a bit stricter with the puppies, so mm. anyway, it's very cute, it's been fun,
0: yeah, exciting. The kids I was are just thrilled
1: yeah I was just saying I had to sneak in the house after I dropped the kids off this morning because I didn't want the puppy to see me so he would start barking and that's I was dreading not awake I'm like what if he barks the whole time we record
0: (laughs) but he seems to calm down a lot people probably like to hear like an occasional little bark like (laughs) peep peep is next to me on the bed but she's sleeping but she was like screaming at the top of her lungs prior to recording she tired herself out though (laughs) good timing but if you want to see pictures of our cute pets, of cute little peep, and um, Olivia's all for cute little animals, <laughs> make sure to follow our personal Instagram accounts. Mine's Steph Sum underscore, and Olivia's is TCS Olivia. They're both in the True Crime Society bio, always posting some thrilling, exciting content, um, good vibes. So today we're going to talk about two missing persons cases that are pretty current. They're very, recent still like going on. Um one of them is Dylan Rounds. He was 19 years old when he went missing in May of this year from Utah. It's one of the stories where you at first think there's not a lot to it and then you're like, wait, there's like actually a lot of weird stuff going on here.
1: When I started digging, like it, at first it just seems like a standard, you know, missing person's case, just the general information, but once you start looking into it, there are a lot of players, a lot of different things going on. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. So that's an interesting one. But it's like, I don't know, I guess it's kind of starting to get a lot of attention. But I feel like a lot of people won't know about it. If you follow us, we've definitely been posting about it. But like before we decided to do the episode on it, I didn't know much about him except that he was missing. And then the second one we're going to talk about, there's not as much info about this one yet, but it's pretty mysterious it's a little similar to the episode we did on heidi plank um this is about a missing woman from texas named christina um, nicknamed chrissy lee powell and she's been missing from texas since july 5th and it's kind of one of those where she walked out of her house and was just gone very current one yeah so we'll start off with dylan this began on Monday,
2: May 30th, Memorial Day, when we figured out a couple people. Nobody had heard from my son for a couple of days.
3: For the past year, this is where Dylan Rounds called home. It's along the Nevada Utah border in Box Elder County. Dylan's mother said his dream was to start up his own farm, and this spring, he started from scratch.
2: Dylan's been working on this farm out in Lucent, Utah, his own farm, on getting the ground tore out and, and getting it prepared for a crop. This year was going to be his first crop. So that, that farm was his whole life.
3: He lived in this camper, and when no one heard from him on Memorial Day weekend, his Idaho family traveled to his farm. It was abandoned.
2: We've been searching. We've been... Looking everywhere, search and rescue came out on Monday, May 30th. They were out there in the afternoon, and that first afternoon, we located his boots.
3: His mother said the boots were a short distance away from his RV camper, and it's the only pair he owns.
2: At that point, it should have been treated as as foul play. I mean, you just don't find somebody's boots in the desert that's missing.
1: So, as Stephanie said, Dylan Rounds was 19 years old when he went missing from his Utah farm in May of this year, 2022. As of kind of mid to end July 2022 he remains missing the case is really really strange as we said there's kind of lots of unusual occurrences weird things that have happened and there's a lot of insinuation and rumor online I've seen that his family are really trying to stick to the facts so we're going to try and tell the whole story but we'll try and separate the facts from the speculation as we go along so Dylan was born to Candace Cooley and Justin Rounds. He grew up in Idaho with two younger siblings. Candace and Justin divorced though when Dylan was four years old. I think they have a fairly amicable relationship, or at least they you know do now in terms of the search for Dylan. They're often um, interviewed together and seen together. The kids then split their time between Idaho Falls where Justin lives and Twin Falls where Candace lives. They've said that Dylan loved fishing and dirt biking and his father said that he always knew Dylan would end up being a farmer. Justin said he's just done that all his life and that means in terms of farming, that's all he's thought about. Um, Candice did a really kind of comprehensive interview with Dateline and she said he's one of those people that was born to be a farmer. The kid could drive a tractor before most kids knew how to ride a bike. In 2019, so he was very young when he did this actually, Dylan bought his own farm in Lucen, Utah. Um, Justin said that his father, who's Dylan's grandfather, purchased the land with Dylan who spent his days cultivating the crop and his nights living alone in the camper on the property. Candace said of the property, it's sandy desert. It's literally people who want to get off the grid. There's some photos on the blog but it is very – sparse there's like it's not actually there's no ranch or anything it's just some trailers and some you know farming equipment and things like that on the farm imagine buying your own farm
0: at what 17
1: yeah well even though if it was 2019 yeah so
0: 16 even maybe there's no i think that's not even illegal I mean, legal. His parents must have co-signed or something. Surely. Like, uh, I, and I don't know what the cost of
1: the land is there, but yeah, it seems crazy. It's like, can 16-year-olds just buy property? <laughs> <laughs> so Candace told Dateline that this year, as in 2022, was going to be the first crop that he kind of farmed and harvested. And she said that his farm had to be built from the ground up. There was a lot of preparation that needed to be done. Candace made a post on Facebook about Dylan which kind of talks about his farming passion. She said, you see, since Dylan was little, he has been a farmer. It was his passion. From the time he could walk, he would try to keep up with his dad and grandpa. Dylan could drive a tractor by himself before most kids could ride a bike. From as early as 10 years old, he was growing pumpkin patches and sweet corn to sell. The Rigby community knew every summer there would be Dylan's sweet corn for sale under the county line overpass. So Justin said that while the farm was Dylan's top priority, his son would often go back to stay with his parents in Idaho because his camper on the farm had no running water. So it was very primitive, not very well equipped. So Dylan was last seen confirmed on May 26th. I have seen some sources say that it was May 27, but I'm pretty sure it was the 26th. This info is from the Elko County Sheriff. It says, Dylan was in fact seen in Montello before his disappearance on the 26th of May, not on the 27th as reported on social media. So Montello is located in Nevada. You will see a bunch of states and different kind of towns mentioned in this case. I think it's because his farm is on the border of Nevada, Utah, and Idaho. It looks like it's all quite close to Wyoming according to Google Maps too. Um, His farm was in Box Elder County, so you'll hear a lot about the Box Elder County Sheriff in this episode. And if you see, there are some different law enforcement agencies from different states involved, and that's why. Basically, his farm was in one area. He was last seen alive in a different area. His parents live in another area. So there's a bunch of- It's on like the border. Yeah, a bunch of different, very close, geographically close law enforcement agencies kind of involved. So, on Thursday, May 26, it's been verified that Dylan ate at a local establishment in Montello. It's called the Cowboy Bar and Grill. I have seen some comments that say um, that bar or grill doesn't actually serve food anymore, but that Dylan was a family friend, so they let him go and use the ovens there because he obviously didn't have any kind of cooking equipment at his farm. So, I believe that this visit to the Cowboy Bar and Grill was verified by his bank statements. His cell phone was then tracked and it seems like he returned back to the vicinity of his farm in Lucerne, Utah after that. He last spoke to his parents on the phone on May 26. Candace said he was so excited. He said, mom, I'm just getting my first crop this year. So Dylan was growing triticale on his farm. It's a hybrid of wheat and rye that was first bred in labs during the late 19th century in Scotland and Germany. Um, And then it says commercially available triticale is almost always a second generation hybrid, which is a cross between two kinds of primary triticale. So it seems very specialized. I've never even heard of that
0: before. I looked it up because I was like, okay, what are we making with this? Um, It says triticale grain reduces oxidative stress, promotes bone health, has antioxidant nature, rich in minerals, reduces neural problems, increases cell production, and has high folate content and helps in wheat control. So Sounds like a healthier type of grain, maybe. Yeah. All
1: right. So his father, Justin, remembers speaking to Dylan that day too. He said he was talking about the different types of tractors that he was running and the service was spotty. So that was the last time that his parents spoke to Dylan. There are some reports that Dylan was seen again in Montello the following day, which was May 27, but this hasn't been verified. And as far as law enforcement goes, they're saying the last confirmed sighting was May 26. The last confirmed actual contact that Dylan had with anyone was Saturday, May 28. He called his grandmother at 6.51am. I have seen some reports that say during this call, Dylan told his grandmother about a strange encounter that he'd recently had. Um, This is a quote, an erratic barefoot man flagged Dylan down, asked to use his phone and subsequently wanted a free ride. Dylan declined, feeling that the man might be dangerous and on drugs. There's an article by Local News 8 and they give some more details about this encounter and the man. It says that Dylan also told Candace, his mother, about it and she said that he told her about a bloody man who was walking on foot and came up out of the desert He wanted a ride, but Dylan's family initially believed that Dylan didn't give him one, which was what Local News 8 reported. The man in this encounter was quickly identified as a man named Chase Venstra. We'll come back to this later in the episode. I just kind of wanted to put it in here because it seems like this is how it chronologically happened. He told his grandmother about this on the day he vanished and it happened just a few days before he vanished. So i just put it in here for now. We will come back to it. Dylan also told his grandmother that during during this call that he had to put his grain truck away in a shed that was around five miles away from his farm on the property of a neighbour. He said it was going to rain and he had to move the truck quickly so he'd call her back. Uh, the cell phone pings showed that Dylan was near his farm in Lucent when this call was made, so that story seems to kind of add up and be accurate. The last pings and cell phone data from Dylan's phone occurred on at 3.41pm on that day, so quite a few hours after he spoke to his grandmother, but that was the last activity on his cell phone. The following day, May 29, which is my birthday. (laughs) Finally, I got to mention it's always your birthday. (laughs) It's always my birthday. (laughs) Um, Dylan's grandmother became concerned when he had not called her back and she was worried that he wasn't answering his phone. I'm assuming his phone must have been off or dead by that point because it would have pinged if someone was calling him, you would have thought. Yeah. But know. She called one of the farm workers, a man named Don, and asked him to check on Dylan. Don and another farmhand named Jim went to the farm to look for Dylan, but they couldn't find him anywhere. Anywhere He was nowhere to be seen. So I'm guessing Don and Jim looked for Dylan for the remainder of the day and the night because when he still hadn't shown up by the next day, which was May 30, they called Dylan's grandmother to let her know. She then called Dylan's best friend, J.D. Wild, who said that he also didn't know where Dylan was and at 11 a.m. on that day, May 30, JD called Candace, who's Dylan's mother, and she said, I instantly knew we had a problem. They all started calling around to see if anyone had seen Dylan and nobody had. In the Dateline interview, Candace said that it was extremely unusual for Dylan to go so long without speaking to anybody. She said he breaks his phones, he loses phone charges, but he shows up at his father's house or my house within a matter of hours to get a spare one. So the fam- Dylan's family and friends drove pretty quickly to the farm to try and look for him. As she was driving, Candace filed a missing person report with the Box Elder Sheriff's Office and when his parents arrived, they found that his truck was parked near his trailer. It had been pressure washed and the seat had been moved forward as if a shorter person had been driving it. Um, Candace said there was no tracks or footprints near the vehicle. She also told East Idaho News that she is 4 foot 11 and Dylan is 5 foot 11 and that when she gets in his car, she always has to move the driver's seat up. She said when she looked in his truck on May 30, she said the quote, this quote, the seat was scooted up to the point I didn't even have to move it to drive. So it sounds like someone a lot shorter than Dylan maybe had last
0: driven the car. Or someone was doing something like behind the seat and like pushed it up far.
1: Yeah, that could be true too. So back to Dylan's story. Candace added that Dylan's truck was in four-wheel drive but that it was a feature of the truck that didn't work. She told the media that everyone in the family knew that the four-wheel drive kind of component wasn't working because Dylan, quote, often complained about not being able to use the feature and having to drive his truck without it. So that's kind of seems to me that she's insinuating that someone tried to put the vehicle in four-wheel drive, someone who didn't know that it wasn't working, so someone mm. not particularly close to Dylan. Candace said that it rained around the time that Dylan went missing, which was why he told his grandmother that he was moving the truck, but she said there was no mud on the tires, no tracks, no nothing. She said that the interior of the truck seemed normal, which was dusty and dirty. 90 minutes after his family started looking for him, his boots were found tossed behind a pile of dirt. They were found approximately 100 yards away from the grain truck. So that seems to be kind of the five miles, you know, where he was moving it to.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Candace told Dat- Dateline, the boots were found within the first hour and she told, them, told Nate Eden, the reporter for East Idaho News, that the boots were behind a pile of dirt just casually tossed out. She's also said that Dylan was very particular about his boots. She said he wears a pair, it's always the same pair. When they wear out, he goes and buys the exact same boots. Once they found the boots, Candace said, our hearts dropped. A kid doesn't just go walking in the desert without his boots. And Justin said that finding the boots threw everyone for a loop. Our brains were going in a million different directions. We didn't know what to do. Candace has said in interviews that the boots were dry and didn't seem to have been exposed to the elements, which seems unusual if it had been raining. Hmm. Uh, the Box Elder Sheriff's Search and Rescue Team took the boots and put them in their vehicle. They didn't send the boots for forensic analysis though for almost a week. Their reasoning was that they wanted to hold on to the boots in case cadaver dogs needed an item to obtain scent from. I feel like there should have been way you know plenty of other things they could have used in his camper, but yeah. for, for whatever reason, that was their you know story. Um, there are some reports in the media that say some blood was found on the boots. I have read it was just a spot of blood. One article from East Idaho News says there was a dark substance on the boots that the family thought could have been grease or oil. They say investigators have since told them it was blood, but they don't know if it was human or animal blood. Candace has said that they also discovered around this time that Dylan's phone, wallet, a pistol and his keys were missing. And as far as I know, none of those items have ever been recovered. On May 31, so kind of the day after they started searching, there's a website called Missing in America Network and they have a really comprehensive timeline on this case. According to them, a man from Montello named Kurt, K-U-R-T, or Kirk, K-I-R-K, called Dylan's family. He told them that Dylan was being held by a man, the man from the strange encounter who was Chase Venstra, the one who was, you know, barefoot in the desert. Asking for a ride. Yeah. And also another man in Montello. Law enforcement went to this place and searched thoroughly. Dylan wasn't found and nothing related to the case was found as far as I know either. So just that's kind of another weird thing to happen. Yeah, The search for Dylan was very extensive. Helicopters, ATVs, horses, on-foot searches and cadaver dogs were used. About 300 volunteers searched for him over, you know, days and weeks. They conducted five private air searches and a pond on Dylan's farm was drained and searched. They also took over 2,200 drone images, which they were kind of taking and reviewing to see what they could find in terms of colours and different things that stood out. Seems like a
0: pretty big effort.
1: Yeah, definitely. And a qu- and a quick effort as well. Like, you know, they didn't wait a week or whatever. This all seemed to happen pretty quickly.
0: Especially if it's like a
1: kind of like desolate, mm. desert-y area. So on June 4, Chase Venstra, who's the man from the weeding counter, was arrested on charges unrelated to Dylan's case. He's still in jail. Um, I've pulled up his booking form, which is on the blog. There's not a whole amount of information. It just says that he was booked on June 4 at 10.40 p.m. He's 41 years old. So... He's been on the radar from the start. But right before this happened, which is a weird twist, Candace made a post saying they had spoken to Chase and had been able to clear him. So just keep this in mind for later because it will be important. Her post said, update, we've still not found Dylan. So this is from June 3rd too, so the day before. Update, we have still not found Dylan, but we have been able to 100% clear Chase Venstra. He's been cooperative once. We spoke with him and we thank him for that. Um, And then just goes on again to say thank you for everyone who's helped. Dylan is an amazing kid. Everyone who knew him instantly liked him. So let's bring this kid home.
0: But who's like we? Like how she's like we were able to. I know. Like Like you personally have cleared him? Like you don't think that he's involved? It's
1: so strange.
0: And that was only a few days after he went missing, so. I feel like whenever some, like, people connected to a case and directly start getting arrested for random shit suddenly, that means that police are, like, suspicious suspicious of them and looking for For ways to, like, hold them. Yeah.
1: So on June 5, Dylan's family were given permission by police to take his truck away from the farm. They hadn't carried out any fingerprinting or forensic testing, which seems like a very shoddy investigation.
0: I feel like that happens in so many cases yeah. we've talked about too, where they're like, no, you could take the car, and then yeah, eventually eventually they're like, mm, maybe Bring we should do something with it.
1: So the following day, which was June 6, Dylan's boots were finally logged into the police lab for further testing. So the search for Dylan went on to no avail. For a few weeks after this, there was but there's bunkers and mines in the area. They were searched and cleared. They cleared 18 mines in the area and searched it for evidence. I don't think they found anything. Candace has said that she met with law enforcement and they ran through the case together for over five hours. And just like we were mentioning on June 14, I guess there was some type of black backflip, and Dylan's truck was taken into custody, but by police in Bonville County in Idaho. So this is another example of all these different people being involved. So. Someone who I've never ever seen mentioned before, the Bonville County Police, took the truck into custody. Too many cooks. Yes. Um, on June 15, Dylan's disappearance was classified as a criminal investigation, and the FBI became involved. On June 16, police served a search warrant on the trailer of James Jim Brenner, who's Dylan's neighbor. I have seen some different things that they were neighbors or that also that James was squatting on Dylan's property. Dylan obviously knew about it either way. Um, I'm not entirely sure what the correct um, scenario is. I think they were neighbors and Jim was squatting on
0: someone else's land, um, not Dylan's land. Like they have a lot of land so they didn't notice maybe.
1: So during the search of Jim Brenner's trailer, police saw ball ammunition ignition caps, black powder and speed loads. All of that apparently relates to muzzle loading. I don't really know what that is, but it's some obviously some type of gun or rifle term. Um, the items were photographed by police but weren't seized at the time. June 18. so things did move quite quickly. like things seems to be, seem to be happening daily around this point. The two campers on Dylan's farm were finally taken into custody by police. On June 21, police went back to Jim Brenner's trailer and they seized the items that we mentioned, including ammunition, a muzzleloader, black powder, and ignition caps. On Thursday, June twenty third, James Brenner was charged with three counts of being a restricted person in possession of a firearm, which is a third-degree felony. He was further charged on June 30 with being a felon in possession of a firearm. There's an affidavit which I'll put on the blog but in it it says that James allegedly asked his friend to hide guns for him around the time that Dylan went missing. He told the friend that it was for, quote, his own safety and that last time he had trouble with the law, they took everything from him and he did not want the things he had left to be taken again. Just kind of as an interesting note, James was the neighbour who lived near the shed, squatting near the shed, where Dylan was going to move the grain truck to. So, mm. you know, that puts Dylan in that vicinity at the time that he disappeared because we know the grain truck made it there. So Yeah, so it puts them both in the same vicinity. At the, yeah, at the time of the disappearance. Yeah. So James is still in custody. A tentative trial date for him has been set for the gun charges for September 12, 2022. As of now of recording, he hasn't been charged with anything in regards to Dylan's death. It was a little bit of weight lifted off my shoulders, just knowing.
3: 200 miles from the search for Dylan Rounds in the vast desert near Nevada. Good to see him in shackles. Suspect James Brenner pleaded not guilty to an unrelated charge, being a felon in possession of a firearm. Until we
2: know it's hard, I mean, you know You have emotion, but we need to know.
3: Dylan's mom, Candice Cooley... Then then we can move forward. ...was in the courtroom when the prosecutor recounted what he called Brenner's atrocious history, including a malicious shooting, illegally transporting and possessing a firearm, and a pending aggravated assault charge, where he's accused of beating a 70-year-old man. That's a relief, knowing he's not going to get out. They are holding him. Cooley says Brenner sometimes worked with Dylan... He was his closest neighbor in Lucin when he went missing on May 28th.
2: He just said he was a crazy old man, lived out in the desert.
3: According to a complaint, after Dylan went missing, Brenner asked a friend to keep three muzzleloaders and a rifle safe. When the friend asked why, Brenner said it was for his own safety and that the last time he had trouble with the law, they took everything.
2: I think James did something to him. I think he snapped, I, especially hearing more of what I hear in court.
3: The Box Elder County Sheriff's Office says they are actively building their case.
2: That's going to be our key. That's what we need, somebody to talk.
3: Until then, the family is doing what they can to find their son.
1: Keep looking forward to getting the answers and, being able to bring Dylan home. On June 28, 2022, the reward for info for Dylan's case rose up to $100,000. On July 1, Chase Venstra, who was the crazy man from the encounter that we spoke about and who was also taken into custody just a few days after Dylan went missing, was charged with being a restricted person in possession of a firearm. Mm -hmm. He is due in court on July 19. Yeah, so he was due in court um, like a day or two ago. There aren't any current updates online in the news about what happened to him. We'll keep a look out and if there is anything that comes from that, if it didn't happen on July 19, we'll keep you updated. Um, this info about the investigation into Chase's involvement comes from East Idaho News. It says federal court documents filed against Venstra state that the Davis County Sheriff and the Box Elder County Sheriff search- served a search warrant on his West Point residence on May 12 in conjunction with a homicide investigation. I feel like that may be a typo because Dylan wasn't missing then. I feel like it has to be June 12, maybe. Yeah. Or unless unless it's a different homicide investigation. But then it goes on to say the complaint does not say which homicide was being investigated, but it says two firearms were found
0: in his motorhome. Well, they also haven't, have they officially said that he was a homicide investigation? No. No. So maybe it's something else. It's weird
1: um but that do- it does say may 12 in the article so just if anyone's wondering that is what it says then on june 12 a search warrant was served on the residence of a person who investigators say was asked by Ventura to hold firearms for him three firearms were found in a water heater closet in a garage a bulletproof vest and ammunition was also recovered another firearm was found in a crawl space in a child's bedroom good place
0: to hide a gun yeah.
1: <laughs> so Chase does have a long criminal history. Um, if you Google his name, you'll see it all pop up. He was involved in a ten-hour police standoff in two thousand and sixteen. This info about that is from KSL.com. It says a SWAT situation that lasted more than ten hours finally ended peacefully Friday. The incident began after police officer officers recognized Chase Montgomery Venstra 34 while out on patrol. He said Ventra, Ventra did not respond to an officer's attempts to contact him after he went inside a house. SWAT responded to the scene and sent in a robot which located weapons and ammunition in the house and the robot searched the house room by room and cleared the main floor without finding Ventura. He was eventually arrested without incident and was booked into Davis County Jail. So he does have a long rap sheet. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on. Hmm. So we're now at Wednesday, July 6th. Police released this statement about the case. It says, the law enforcement investigation into the disappearance of Dylan Rounds is ongoing. Law enforcement continues to be in the Lucent area. At this time, there are no organised searches planned for members of the public to participate in that are supported or authorised by law enforcement. We are asking the public to not search the area as it has the potential to compromise the investigation. As a family, so I'm assuming this is a joint kind of statement between the family and police, as a family we are not asking for or requesting any public searches for Dylan. We request that everyone allow law enforcement to continue their organised investigation without hindrance or interference. So seems like at that point they were working together. There have been some... um, varying reports that law enforcement and the family haven't been getting along and haven't been working together but at that point it seemed like they were yeah on july 7 the fbi and the box elder sheriff's office named james brenner who was the first man they arrested as a suspect in dylan's disappearance that was the squatting guy the squatting guy yeah not not the desert crazy guy yeah So back to Dylan's story. As we mentioned at the start, there are a lot of rumors in the case. Um, Obviously, it's a rumor because we cannot verify it, but I just wanted to kind of mention this one because it may be interesting, seems to have some type of credence maybe. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah. (laughs) We spoke earlier about a man named Kirk or Kurt calling in the tip about Dylan being held hostage and that ended up being false. Um, We believe that Kirk or Kurt is actually Kurt Wadsworth, which is based on public records that I found. I've read that he was 60. Public records say he was 62. So anyway, early 60s at the time when Dylan went missing. Kurt had allegedly been helping out on Dylan's farm and there are rumours that the two were romantically involved. Kurt appeared on another podcast called On True Crime with Jess and he said, Dylan's a hardworking young kid who had a dream and asked me to be involved in it. I worked as a backhoe operator is all. And then he goes on to say, if you don't have any faith in me that I know what I know, I am the one that is going to solve this thing. I know everything about Dylan. They know absolutely nothing about Dylan's life. Um, a lot of the comments online about Kurt and his uh, supposed criminal history seem to have been deleted. Um, I couldn't find anything to back up what people are alleging um, in terms of his criminality. Um, you know, doesn't mean it's not out there. I just couldn't find it and it seems like a lot of it has been deleted. So." It's just an interesting kind of
0: another piece to the story. Everyone involved with this case seems like a little off
1: yeah, in some way. Yeah. Like when you Google his name and Dylan Rounds, the stuff that comes up is quite um, inflammatory, I guess. There's a lot of accusations being thrown around. As I said, we don't know if they're true. Um, but when I go to read more, a lot of it has been deleted. So I'm guessing – You know, there may be a little bit of truth in terms of maybe the relationship, but then we don't know. Who knows? I just wanted to mention it anyway.
0: Well, this guy's clearly like invested for some reason. Like Mm. he's not just some like random guy.
1: Yeah. And it, yeah, like I feel like it's a bit strange. If he was just a farmhand, would you be going on these podcasts? No. And
0: Anyway, I don't know. But it's not like they're even if they're I don't know, it's like such a big age difference where it's like even if they were like BFFs or something, that's also like a little weird.
1: Even the comment where he said, I know everything about Dylan, they know absolutely nothing. That kind of implies that there was a very close relationship of what nature, we don't know. Well, it almost seems like possessive. Yeah. Like, they, know, they don't know anything, but I know everything. Um, there are some online comments that say Kurt and Chase Venstra, who was the guy, the creepy desert guy, didn't get along, which may have been why Kurt called in the false tip. Um, I guess he could have also been trying to throw them off the scent. I don't know. Like, obviously, we don't know. Dylan's still missing. We don't know what happened. But I guess there's a few reasons why he could have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, There's also some discussion about a man named Don being involved. Don had been working on Dylan's farm until about six weeks prior to his disappearance. They had a falling out, I believe, over a washing machine or a part or something like that and they parted ways, but Don was the man that Dylan's grandmother called to look for him initially, um, and he went with a guy, Jim. Don and Jim went to look for him. Um, at the at this point with the charges against James and Chase Venstra. nothing against Don. It doesn't maybe seem like he's involved, but I wanted to mention it as I guess it's always a possibility. I did fa- find this comment online, which I guess is why people suspect that Don may have something to do with it. It says, in the very beginning, the very first day, I had a feeling it was Jim and Don who had done something to Dylan. All I kept thinking about and repeating in my head is Jim. the grandma called Jim and Don Sunday and asked them to go to the farm and see if Dylan was there. This is what is bothering me. Jim and Don goes to the farm. Now, all day Sunday, they do not call grandma back, which is why I said at the start, it seems like they searched for him for the whole day and didn't call her back till the following day, which is weird. The person says, why didn't they call grandma back as soon as possible? Why? What were they doing that they didn't call at the farm and tell grandma they were at the farm and Dylan's nowhere to be seen? So then it goes on and on. Um you know it just seems like there's a lot of kind of shady people involved
0: yeah like everyone and i also keep like reminding myself like dylan's really young compared to like the rest of these people
1: yeah like these are or, all a lot of them.
0: middle-aged men you know in their 50s and they're like 60s and they're like working on his farm so he's like technically their boss i guess which might be a weird dynamic for them because anytime i've worked with someone who is like much older than me where like if i had to tell them to do anything or like it was always a fucking struggle because they're like, well, I'm older than you. Or like if I knew how to do something that they didn't know how to do and I would like try to show them, like they'd always still have to like try to act superior because they're older. Like some people are just like that. Not everyone, obviously. But (laughs) I wonder if that that ever caused like a weird
1: dynamic. So I also did mention earlier that the family and – Kind of law enforcement have been at odds at some point in the case. Um, both sides did re- make a press release. It was in June, so it was a little bit, um, you know, a few weeks ago. But I just thought it was an interesting aspect of the case
0: to mention. Um, this is the Box Elder County Sheriff's Office press release. The Box Elder County Sheriff's Office is making continual efforts to locate Dylan Rounds and to investigate the circumstances surrounding his disappearance. This is an active law enforcement missing person criminal investigation. Only updates that do not have the potential to compromise the investigation will be released. Box Elder County volunteers have logged over 300 hours searching, covering over 3,000 miles, not including the hours and miles traveled to and from the remote search areas. Box Elder County Sheriff's Office detectives and deputies have also been searching around the clock weekdays and weekends. So far, detectives have spent over 650 hours investigating this case. These numbers continue to increase daily and do not include the time and resources contributed by assisting law enforcement agencies and search teams. Um, Then it just kind of goes on to list, like, all the different sheriff's offices involved. There is many different groups. Um, Also, Texas EquiSearch and many other friends, family volunteers, and they're so grateful for all the support blah, 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 continue to ask for additional assistance. And then it just lists like the phone numbers and who you can contact with information.
1: Um, And so then the family released their own kind of um, response to that. It says, in response to today's press release, we are hopeful that moving forward, we will have improved cooperation from the Box Elder County Sheriff's. Our number one priority is locating our son and we have been moving heaven and earth to do so. We have been requesting resources and many of the efforts you mentioned in your statement were arranged, organised, led, reimbursed by our family. It's been a monumental effort spanning 15 very challenging days of which we've had to make repeated requests for resources over multiple days before receiving a response from your office. While we respect that you have other cases and other events, no family should have to fight this hard for the help they need to find their missing son or daughter. We are eternally grateful for all the support and efforts put forth by everyone thus far, but this is not over. Rather than waste more effort and time trying to cooperate, we hope that we've reached a point where our efforts can be handled with the professionalism and dedication that any family should expect. So, since that those two releases, they seem to have maybe been um, you know a bit of bit more cooperation. I know the family are still leading um, a lot of the investigation themselves there is a facebook group called find dylan rounds official because there's a lot of other facebook groups on this too but the one is official and his family are in the group Um, one thing i do find interesting is that they have some hashtags that they use and one is find dylan rounds which is self-explanatory but the other two (laughs) are trust hashtag trust the family and hashtag facts matter Hmm. Yeah, and they like they've written things in the like there is some great information in the group as I said there's a timeline and all that stuff but one of the things they've said I do not have any of the gossipy side story information included and that is because it makes for good entertainment but it is not the focus of the group so it seems like there's kind of a lot of drama also like it and I'm not surprised just based on the amount of you know different people who are involved the different circumstances um, it's kind of a perfect shitstorm of
0: crazy side stories. There's just certain cases that really attract like the online communities. Yes. You know what I mean? Like I don't even know what it is, but this is definitely one of them.
1: Like Ganon was one and yeah, I just, I don't know. Mostly harmless. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's strange. I don't know. Like I'm just looking now. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven groups at least
0: that I can see. Um, I guess because like mysterious and it's, like, a little complex but not, like, too complex that you get confused. Yeah. And there's a lot of shitty people to, like, point your finger at, I guess.
1: And it it, it is a real – like, you know, in some cases, like, for example, Suzanne Morpheus, the likely um, suspect is her husband. There's not really really anyone else, maybe the guy she had the affair with. But you know what I mean? Like, there's very few actual plausible suspects. Whereas in this, there seems to be a lot of people it's, like, a real – Mystery for those who want to follow it, I guess. Yeah. So as of July twenty one, Dylan is still missing. Dylan is 19 years old. He's five foot eleven and weighs 160 pounds. He has dark brown hair and brown eyes. Candice told Dateline that he usually wears blue jeans, a flannel shirt, and a ball cap. She said he did not walk away from his lifelong dream. Dylan has no drug abuse, no substance abuse, no mental issues, no depression, no suicide thoughts, nothing. She said, I mean everybody loved him. So hopefully there will be some type of resolution in that case soon. Um, I, I don't even, you know, when we usually talk about theories, I feel like James Brenner surely has to be involved. Yeah. Everything he's, points to him, but whether or not he had others
0: involved as well. He's the squatting neighbour, just yeah. to clarify. <laughs> yeah.
1: And we've got it all on the blog, so if you're still not sure, because there is a lot of people, have a look at the blog. It outlines kind of their um, connections to Dylan. There's squatting neighbor James. Yeah. There's Chase, Chase Benstra, who's the desert crazy yelling guy. desert guy. There's dim, dim Jim and Don, who were the farm hands, and Don had a falling out with Dylan. That grandma
0: sent to go look for him. Yeah. And then and then there's Kurt or Kirk. Yes. Who might be in a relationship with him, but if either way, he's he's meddling around. And just to add in another kind of Kirk
1: Kurt um connection apparently kirk or kurt's brother owns the cowboy bar and grill where dylan went hmm. to heat up his pizza so there's a lot of interconnection um you know i'm guessing it's a small rural community everyone knows each other um yeah yeah so it's I, it's messy it's
0: complicated it's like it is but it isn't i don't know yeah. <laughs> why
1: <what. laughs> i just i i i i can't think of a motive um for this like i guess the motive could be sexual if if it ends up that that's been true obviously we don't know it's just a speculation and online rumor like it could be some type of
0: i'm leaning towards like dumb argument of some sort that got out yeah. of hand yeah especially if it was like ends up being like the neighbor guy where like he wanted to move his truck like maybe um dylan knew that that guy shouldn't have been squatting on the property or something or i don't know I did see
1: a comment, and i I can't verify it, but it it said that James Brenner is apparently quite short, like five foot four, if I remember rightly, so that would maybe explain why the car the truck mm. seat was moved, and I also wonder like my thinking of a possible scenario is that maybe Dylan was shot to death standing outside his truck, which was why it was pressure washed, but the inside wasn't touched mm. um, I figure thing, yeah. yeah that's the that's the only real kind of thought I have based on the evidence that they've told us about had an argument with James and whoever if anyone else was there um and that they've, he's just kind of covered it up now yeah so I think that's it for Dylan we'll keep you updated check the blog it's a lot I know it's a lot to take in um kind of reminds me not you know of Mo and Caitlin and that there's a lot of
0: different people involved so yeah. if you're a bit
1: confused check out the blog
0: yeah, and we'll keep posting about it too, if there's any updates. If there's any updates by the time this comes out, I'll put some sort of clip here. Um, so the next one we're going to talk about is the one I mentioned before, um, a missing woman from Texas. Her name is Christina Chrissy Lee Powell, and she's been missing from San Antonio since July 5th. So very current being right now it is the 21st. Um, like I said, this one, if you remember Heidi Plank, like it kind of has shades of Heidi Plank. Unknown or just the scariest part.
4: So many scenarios are playing out in the mind of Lauren Leal,
0: And she's not just a friend, she's a sister.
4: Her friend Chrissy Powell, whom she's known all her life, is missing. Leal is speaking on behalf of the family.
1: It's just been really hard to kind of wrap her minds around where she might be, what could have happened.
4: Last Tuesday, the paralegal called her work to say she was running late, but she never made it in. You see here Powell walking out her front door on Red Hill Place. After 10:30 in the morning, the mother left her cell phone behind because the family believes she was rushing to get to work. This would be the last time the family saw or heard from her.
1: My fear is not ever knowing anything. I mean, I, I think that would be the worst to just spend the rest of my life looking for her because I will never give up.
4: San Antonio police made this flyer saying the mother is a missing, endangered adult. Police say Pal has a medical condition that requires a doctor's care. The family told me the 39-year-old doesn't have her medicine. See that there was no- Liao says this is not in her friend's character to just vanish, calling this disappearance bizarre. Police in the family have even checked the jail and hospitals.
2: We just want you home.
0: So the last known sighting of Chrissy comes from her ring doorbell camera at 1034 a.m. on July 5th she called her job she was a paralegal at a law firm to let them know that she was running late and that she was just leaving her home to drive to work um so she was in such a rush i guess to get to work that she left behind her phone her apple watch and her necessary medication um makes me wonder like did she normally bring her medication with her or do they just mean if she was like running away or something like she would have wanted to bring that i don't know like i don't bring my medications around with me really I've seen a lot of, which I'm probably getting ahead of myself, but I've seen a lot of (laughs) media
1: articles which mention that the medication was necessary. So it seems like it's not just something that she needed to take once a day. She might have had to take it multiple times a day or something like that. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, we don't know what it was for. No. Um, So in the um, footage from her ring doorbell, she can be seen dressed in dark clothing, carrying a handbag. She can be seen walking quickly and purposefully away from her home. It's believed that she left in her 2020 Nissan Rogue, as the vehicle is also still unaccounted for. Her mother, Claudia Mobley, spoke to the media and said, we didn't really have any kind of in-depth conversation. It was basically, good morning. She told me that she was running late. um, And then she said that she was leaving for work. I told her to be careful, and I probably told her I love you. So the route to Chrissy's job from her home. Um. It was only like a seven-mile drive. It was approximately 15 minutes wrong. Um, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Long. <laughs> I was like reading while talking. <laughs> so the drive to her job, it was only like a 15-man drive. It was approximately seven miles. Um, it would be near I-10 in Vance Jackson Road. Her family and friends scoured the area around there for any sign of a wreck or anything that could indicate that she was there and nothing was found. They've been checking jails, hospitals, and there's been no sign of her. Um, her family friend, Lauren Leal, she told Ken's Five news station that the unknown is the scariest part. It's a f- it is fear in my mind right now. Um, she also said, it's hard to wrap our minds around where she might be or what could have happened. We want you to come home. She also said, My fear is not ever knowing anything. I mean, I think that would be the worst is spending the rest of my life looking for her. I'll never give up. It's a strange statement to say when she, like, I think that interview was probably
1: only a week or a few days after she went missing. So she's already into the whenever she's like a
0: a true crime follower. Yeah, maybe. Because that'd always be like my panic too. Like, what if we never find out? Chrissy's mother told the media that police came to her home on July 6th to take a missing persons report, but that took days for anything to actually happen, which seems to be the ongoing theme of everything. On July 14th, police in Careville, an area around an hour away from Chrissy's home in the Apple Creek area, released a statement. And it says the San Antonio Police Department is looking for a missing, endangered adult, Christina Lee Powell, 39 years old, who has diagnosed medical conditions that require a doctor's care. SAPD has received information that she might be in the Kerrville area. She has blonde hair and brown eyes, is described as being 5'2 and about 120 pounds. She's believed to be driving a black 2020 Nissan Rogue with Texas plates. If you have seen or may know the whereabouts of Christina Powell, please contact the San Antonio Police Department's Missing Persons Unit. So it seems like they thought that she could have been over there, which is like an hour away. Not sure what led them there, but it must be something.
1: Seems quite um, specific f- for them to say she may be in this area. Like, I'd like they got to her
0: car on camera or something. I don't know. So there is an article on Medium that gives a little bit more information about Chrissy. Um, it goes into more detail about her personal life and what was going on when she disappeared. So we'll link that in the blog if you want to read it in full. Um, but it said, according to the article... On July 4th, 2022, that marked the one year since Chrissy's ex took their son to live with him. She had apparently been married twice and she didn't have amicable relationships with either ex at this point. Her mother, Claudia, spoke to Fox News and she said, we didn't do anything because a year ago on July 4th was when she had when her boyfriend or ex-boyfriend walked out and took the baby. So it was kind of a bad anniversary. Guessing they were asked if they did anything for 4th of July. (laughs) Um,
1: Because I've seen a few comments, like maybe she had too many drinks and she was hungover, which was why she didn't go to work or was late mm, for work. But it doesn't sound like that was it.
0: Yeah, they didn't do anything. Um, Chrissy also allegedly fought with one of her exes via text on July 3rd. Um, Her mother said he wanted them to be a family unit again and was blaming her for them not being together anymore, which is a red flag. But it seems like the ex isn't a suspect in the case. Police claim Chrissy's ex-boyfriend is, quote, absolutely cooperating and is clearly not a person of interest. While Claudia says that he and Chrissy, quote, had a wonderful visit on Saturday, which would have been June 2nd. Seems a little confusing. I Like, neither of the exes have names. so We don't really know which ex is which. But it, earlier it was mentioned that... Um, they didn't really have like an amicable relationship anymore. But But then they're still having a wonderful visit. It's very strange. Yeah. And then one of them's also wanting them to be together. I don't know. I'm pretty Maybe sure they got that along sometimes. I'm pretty sure that the ex that they talk about with the visit
1: and the family unit, you know, blaming her for not wanting to be a family is the father of the youngest son. Um, mm-hmm. kind of her most recent ex. But it still seems strange that after a year anyway, I'm just I know I'm getting into it, but after a year he'd text her and still want to be a family unit but they weren't amicable
0: but they were still seeing each other it just seems missy yeah it's confusing it was also mentioned that this isn't the first time that Chrissy went missing Claudia said that Chrissy went missing for four or five days back in 2017 or 2018 but she said the quote of her talking about this is one time she did but I knew she was with her boyfriend that was a long time ago it was days but not a week Five days, but not a week.
1: And so and that's also weird. Like you think you would remember when she went missing, like she doesn't seem
0: to remember any of the details. I don't know, it's strange. But um I mean that's really it so far with her case. Um a lot of people have been asking us about it if we were gonna like do a podcast or cover it all. We've definitely been posting about it, but that's really all the info there is. So there's not much out there yet, but it's definitely a case that has a lot of people intrigued as to what's
1: going on. I feel like people will become more intrigued in this case, even though there's not much information, because of the ring doorbell footage. It always – maybe it's just me, but it always seems so eerie when you actually see the kind of final last away. known like, footage of the person walking away for the last time. Yeah. And, like, she looks – like, she just looks kind of like she's in a little bit of a hurry, but she doesn't look – She looks you know, like she's late to work. Yeah, yeah. Like, she's rushing to get out the door and walking just to the car or whatever. So but It's
0: also, like – what happened that morning that she was running late, like she left her phone, her medication, like it seems like she – like something happened. Like did did she just oversleep? Did something happen that morning? I want, and I
1: would really, you know, just for my own curiosity's sake, what medication she needed, Um, you know. Yeah, and, I, and yeah, she
0: had to bring with her.
1: Pretty much every article about this says that she will be in need of medical attention or, you know, so, yeah. yeah. It'll be interesting. I, I'm just, I'm surprised that they haven't found her car. I guess she could be hiding out somewhere with the car. Like all you've got to do is put it in a garage.
4: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but yeah, I really don't know what the outcome will be. I hope that she's just clearing ahead and will come back soon. But I don't know, it's yeah. been a long time now. We're at what, three weeks or something like that. So
0: mm-hmm. If there's any updates, I'll also put a clip here.
1: Over the weekend, police say Powell's body was found in her car. It was parked at the shopping
0: center at Hebner Oaks. Ken's 5 reporter Henry Ramos is live there now. And Henry, do we know how this mother died?
4: ECs we still don't know at this hour, though we did call the medical examiner's office in the last 30 minutes. They're still working on the cause of death. This is the news that the family feared, and now they're left with so many other questions. How long was Powell here? And how did that mother lose her life? On July 5th, the law clerk was seen leaving her home. Three weeks later, San Antonio police say Powell's body was found in her car at the parking lot at Hebner Oak Center. According to SAPD, on Saturday evening, a security guard checked on a suspicious vehicle. Once he got closer, he smelled something foul. He looked inside and saw a body in the front passenger seat and called 911. Police believe it is Powell because of the car an ID found. SAPD says the car had been parked in the same location for about a week.
1: Just as a bit of an update to an older episode that we did, in 2021, we did a podcast episode about a Jane Doe known as Annandale Jane Doe. I've also seen her referred to online as Christmas Tree Lady. Um, The woman took her life in December 1996 in a cemetery in Annandale, Virginia, in a section called Babyland. She suffocated herself with a plastic bag over her head. So we've got a blog for that, um, which I've just bumped up. So it's right at the front of the homepage, and we've also got the episode if you want to learn more about her. But it was just such a crazy case, um, and you know, she was, was-
0: called um, Christmas Tree Lady because there was just like a bunch of weird shit with her. Like there was a little Christmas tree, and um, she had some notes, I think, but she signed them Jane Doe.
1: And she had a comedy tape. Like she'd been listening to a tape on her Walkman, I think, yeah, at the time. Like the- yeah, it, just, it seemed like there was a lot of clues, but no one could figure out who she was. Mm-hmm. Um, but in July 2022, so just this month, her identity was finally discovered. Her name is Joyce Marilyn Meyer Summers or Joyce Meyer, depending on the source. This info about discovery of her identity is from dnasolves.com. It says, in January 2022, Fairfax Police Department detectives sent physical evidence to Othram, and Othram scientists used forensic-grade genome sequencing to develop a comprehensive genealogical profile for the woman. Then it goes into kind of how they did it, Um, they did a crowdfunding campaign, and that helped them to get the funds to identify this
0: woman. I remember we talked about that in the episode, how they had the crowdfunding. So it's kind of cool to see how it all turned out. In May 2022, investigative leads were returned to
1: the the detectives and this led to a connection with one suspected family member of the unknown woman. So they kind of went on and it says, a DNA sample from a close relative confirmed a match and this confirmation was further corroborated by conversations with the siblings um joyce was originally from davenport iowa she was the oldest of five siblings she was 69 years old when she was found deceased her family believed that she may have moved to the virginia area sometime after the mid-1980s at the time of her death she wasn't reported missing and she didn't have family in the immediate area her family had apparently spent years looking for her even though they didn't report her missing and they'd hired a private private detective additionally it appears that Joyce didn't have and never had any children which is interesting because everyone was always curious as why she took her life in the baby like it was always speculated that maybe she'd lost a child or had a child in the cemetery but it apparently you know seems like she may not have um major ed o'carroll who's the bureau commander for major crimes cyber and forensics at fairfax police department said after decades of wondering what happened to their loved one joyce's family is finally at peace thanks to the dedicated work of several generations of detectives anonymous donors and authorum our detectives never stopped working for joyce and her family advances in technology will continue to help close cases and provide answers to victims families um, it's. I feel like this is something that's going to happen a lot more in terms of the identification of these does, just because there is this, you know, crazy advances in familiar DNA and um, genealogy. So
0: it seems like there's been so many like cases and Jane Doe, John Does and things happening right now because of the genealogy yeah it's
1: crazy and like you know I feel like obviously without without that this would never have been solved um but yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next few years because it seems like every week there's a new doe that's been unidentified for 30
0: or 40 years and they've finally been kind of returned to their families yeah um so her sister did an interview with the Washington Post that gave a little bit more information about her life because I'm sure all of you like me are wondering like I need, I want to know more about her like how'd she end up here so her sister did say in the interview also about like all the weird clues and like the Christmas tree and the baby land she was like that's like just exactly who my sister was like she would have wanted to leave these weird clues so <laughs> no one would know anything or like we'd all be like wondering what was happening so I guess that's that. But um, she also said she gave a little bit about her life. Um, Joyce, she was born in July 1927. She was the oldest of three girls and two boys in the group on a farm outside of Davenport, Iowa. She attended Iowa State University and then moved to L.A. where she got a job at Seventeen Magazine, which is pretty cool. Um, And she lived with her aunt there. Um, Her sister said she was very creative, very smart, very artistic. Then she left Seventeen Magazine to begin teaching second grade at a Catholic school in L.A., which seems like a big turn. <laughs> her sister said about that, she said it was difficult. She had 60 second graders and she didn't have background in education. She was very meticulous, staying up until the wee hours to do lesson planning. Around that time, Joyce began seeing a psychiatrist. Her sister said at the time, psychoanalysis was all about blaming the family, blame the mother. It sort of estranged her from our family. She also said that Joyce was first married around 1959 and later had a divorce. And at some point in the 1960s, their mother traveled to California for a 24-hour confrontation session with her. So, in this confrontation, Joyce like blamed her mother for being a terrible parent, and um, the sister said it was terrible, it broke her mother's heart. So, clearly, there were some family, family struggles. Drama. The sister, she said she continued to write letters to her, but she never replied really, and that Joyce moved to Seattle and married a man named James E. Summers. And Joyce like didn't even tell her family about this, and police found A divorce certificate showing that Joyce and James divorced in 1977, never had any children like you mentioned. And then Joyce moved to Tucson. Her sister said she had a trailer in a trailer park. She wasn't very happy in that situation. In the 1980s, her siblings all went to visit her in Tucson where Joyce asked the family to build her a house and the family couldn't do that. And Joyce was unhappy with that. And pretty much ever since then, she dropped off the face of the earth and never talked to any of them again. Then it says the siblings tried to locate her in the early 1990s. Her brother um, traveled to where the trailer was in Tucson, but that it was abandoned. And inside a refrigerator in the trailer, the brother found four copies of a book called The Target Child, which um, Joyce apparently wrote and self published about what a traumatic childhood she had. The sister who did the interview, she said she didn't think her parents were abusive or that any of the siblings suffered any abuse while growing up though.
1: I'd be interested to read that book. Yeah, right? (sighs) I want to know more. When you were going through all that, I wonder now if she picked the baby area of the cemetery because she felt so neglected and abused as a child. Yeah, like she never Um, had a proper childhood. Yeah, so maybe she – it seems like she spent a lot of time focusing on that and had a lot of um, trauma from that, so maybe that could explain why
0: she picked that particular area of the cemetery. Yeah, kind of. It still makes me wonder about like the Christmas tree. Like maybe because that's just like a holiday that kids love. Like maybe she never got to enjoy it. I don't yeah. know.
1: Yeah, I don't know, and I'd, I, I don't think we will ever know unless there's some type no. of, you know, she didn't leave any information. That was in a different state, the trailer, you know, to where she was found dead. So I don't know if we'll ever actually find out about the motivation for the location where she took her life. Yeah, seems like she definitely struggled with some mental illness. It's um interesting. I was just looking at the initial kind of um, appeals they made to find out who she was and they said she was estimated to be between 50 and 70. So she was 69 apparently at the time when she was found, so she was at the upper end of that age yeah. bracket. Um, yeah,
0: I mean, she still lived a lot of her life.
1: <laughs> yeah, I wonder too what the eight inch vertical scar in her abdomen was from. The family haven't mentioned that. I guess it could have happened, oh, yeah. you know, when she wasn't in contact with them. But
0: yeah, interesting. Yeah, because she never had any kids or anything. So,
1: that we know of. I, st- I still wonder about that. Like, she could have had a child that isn't documented, or I don't know.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Do
1: you know what? She could have even just had a miscarriage at one point, or something like that so yeah I don't know
0: yeah maybe she couldn't have kids or something
1: yeah yeah true actually I never thought about that
0: so many mysteries that's why everyone loves the the Jane and John Doe cases I
1: feel like this one will like as I said always still remain a mystery even though we know now who she is we just don't know her motivations um whereas it's different to mostly harmless who we know basically everything about now (laughs) so Yeah. yeah this one still will always be mysterious
0: But I'm glad that she's got her name back. Got some answers. Yes. All right. Well, that's it, right? That's it. That's it. (laughs) Made it through another episode. (laughs) Um, Friday morning here. I wish it was Friday. I mean, it's almost (laughs) Friday here. Thank God. As always, everything will be on the blog at TrueCrimeSocietyBlog.com. Any pictures or anything, if you get confused about all the different type of weird guys that are involved in Dylan Round's story, it might be easier to see it in text. Definitely check it out there follow us on Instagram True Crime Society TCS Olivia Steph sum underscore we're always posting updates on Instagram So if anything happens in any of these cases that's probably <laughs> the first place to find out.
1: I was just thinking these two cases are actually ones where they probably likely will be an update soon yeah um,
0: <laughs> it's been a while since we've had a really current case maybe so yeah we'll definitely put in clips of any updates but also definitely follow us on Instagram yeah um, share the podcast share with your friends, post to your Instagram stories. We always repost them. It's a big help to us to help get the word out because people love true crime. They're always looking for more podcasts, so Mm -hmm. you just got to let them know. Yeah. If you haven't left us a review or a rating or anything yet, please do that. That's always a big help to us as well and makes us very, very happy. (laughs) I think that's everything. All the usual stuff. That's it. If you guys have any things you want to see on the podcast, any cases you want to talk about, want to hear us talk about, just shoot them over on Instagram. And we'll add them to our list. Definitely. Thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you all next week. Bye. See ya. Bye. (laughs)